Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Some of these things have a grain of truth, some of them don't, and you just don't want to waste your one life believing some fantasy, which is not going to do you much good in a crunch, maybe. So there's a lack of, uh, of evidence because we seem to be unaware in general in this culture that there is evidence for true belief. Number four is um, this uh, privatized faith attitude, this cowardice almost, as, as Grutuus calls it. I, I wouldn't quite go so far, but he's saying we have this live and let live attitude. We, we, we're way too tolerant. We're more than happy to privatize, to put our faith into, into our own personal uh, dimension and not talk about it or, you know, have to um, defend it. We want to be nice. We don't want to insult anybody with our beliefs. Like I say, if you read this thing carefully, you, you'll see the depth of this that, I, that I'm just going to skip over. So indifference, irrationality um, in this culture in general, ignorance of the evidence because we haven't been taught to look for it. Uh, there's a cowardice in, in the, the... The word tolerance sounds good we should be tolerant of everybody and everything, but on the other hand, if one of you says, I'm murdering babies after this class, I'm a Satanist, I'm going to have a hard time with that one. Because I, I, there are certain things where I can be tolerant only up to a point, and then I, I, I might find myself saying, you might want to think about that. Like, you know, I don't know how many babies you can find in, the, you know, in, in nursing homes or whatever they, whatever they are, the, you shouldn't be doing it. You thought of the consequences. You might be wrong. And worshipping Satan is not the best idea either. It might lead to an exorcism at some stage, which isn't pleasant, apparently. Now, so we've got, in general, read the details. Indifference, irrationalism, ignorance of evidence, cowardice. I've added in my own notes, I think there's a fear of ridicule in this culture if we come forth with our belief. And I think we have an apathetic attitude in general. So I guess I'm saying what he's saying, but just in my own words. I think, like I say, most of us don't have the time. It's been written about in book after book that talk about how this culture is declining. And it says that we're an entertainment culture. We're an experience-driven entertainment culture. And Lord knows the media knows that because that's what they do. They pound us with 15-second sound bites and... When you watch a movie, like in Calm Studies grads and all this stuff, you know that the camera keeps moving. There's always something interesting in the background. Like it's, it's, when you watch the news programs now, somebody's talking. There's a flashing thing going on in one corner. There's a buzz thing going down on the bottom. There's 12 things going on at once because they know no one could possibly listen to anybody for more than five seconds. They have to see six things at once. This is not good. This is really... Like we're multitasking here, but the but the the reason we're doing that is because they figure we're going to find something that keeps them there, and 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 they know that if you just have a talking head, 
Like this is my danger here because I refuse to come in here with videos and guest lecturers and put on Viking outfits and entertain you. I refuse to do that. But I mean, just sitting here talking as a talking head is, is a risky business because after 15 minutes, I mean, we're all drifting away. No one can concentrate more than 15 minutes. That's insane. I look at this like a movie, though. You can sit there for 90 minutes. You know, this is live. So surely there's some hope that you can listen a little longer. That's why it gets a little outrageous sometimes and say things that I learn to regret. But this is what we're after right now in this segment of the class. Why do we resist this? Is it fear? Is it lack of evidence that we're unaware of? Is it afraid? Are we afraid? A lot of people are afraid that, that, that they might be proven wrong, I suppose. But if your belief is true, it, it shouldn't be a problem. You know, it's, and there's something about this culture that just discourages you from doing anything except feeling and being entertained. We've been, th- I mean, I know that sounds silly, but this is called, there's a famous book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. We're, we're literally amusing ourselves to death. We're wasting our one life looking for constant distractions from facing the truth. And the truth is, is what I believe true or not? Like, how do I know? How can I be more certain than I am now? We, we look for distractions. And Pascal said this 300, 400 years ago. It's still true today. It's even worse today than it was then. We're always looking for distractions. And we do that by number one on the list is shopping and TV and movies and friends. And all of that stuff is distraction from actually having to think about what we believe. I know you have to have... How do you think about what you believe? Where do you start? Well... That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to start. You start with some basic logical tests and rules and and you try to figure out what other people are believing, but you focus on your own and just see what evidence there is. There's no excuse now. When I was sitting in those seats, I had to walk to the library and carry 40 books home to find out anything. You can just turn on the computer now and go to Google and pretty much some of those sites are bad and some are good. So after a while, you start seeing a pattern. Like if you're looking up any particular thing... There's no excuse. Just whatever you believe, go and look it up and just see what the evidence is for it. Be interesting. Hmm? Psychics. A lot of people have some kind of strange abilities like that. Where the skeptics get carried away is then they start thinking that they've got it all figured out, that every religious figure was just psychic and, or every prophet, you know, and it just doesn't fit the pattern. Um, psychic hotlines make billions a year. There's a woman in Quebec and that it makes billions for answering the phone all the time and telling people who to marry and what to eat. And to me, that's, that's a sad situation. Uh, before I'd hang my life on that kind of advice or believe what this person supposedly hears from the other side, I, I don't know. A lot of people swore that when they died, they would make sure that you knew they were there. You know, and we still haven't heard from them. But it, 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 near-death experiences, all of these things are... You know, there's... If, if we believe in a spiritual realm, then you know, we have to take the, the parapsychology stuff, we have to take it more seriously than academia does. Academia doesn't... I mean, now it's starting to be studied, but I mean, 20 years ago, anybody who thought it extrasensory perception or ESP or PSI or any of these things was just, just crazy. But it's, it's a legitimate study now in psychology. I don't, I don't know if it's... You know, it just shows that we have a mind that's capable of more than we knew. Certain people probably have gifts, but 
from a Christian point of view, you don't talk to the dead. So whether this person has such a ability or not, if, if, for a Christian, it would be a no-no. Mind you, uh, my wife and I are all kind of we're we're from we're basically Icelandic, and we went over there a couple of years, and it was like everybody was in church on Sunday morning, and then like sixty percent of these Christians, these Icelandic Christians, talk to the dead in the afternoon. Like they're they're, they're the spiritism there is just like rampant. It's just, I, I don't know how the leaders are not saying this is inconsistent. You can't do that. You, Christians say this is not healthy. If it's not God, then it's not good. It, 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 but they do it. And it, I, I was just numb. But uh, I'm, I'm one of the few descendants of these people that doesn't, doesn't believe in the little people living in the rocks, too. So 90% of Icelanders still do. So we're a hard race to crack. Well, you know, Lourdes is filled in France with, with uh, crutches. And there's a guy called Father, uh, Brother Andre in, in, um, in Quebec where people, you know, in Montreal, I mean, people would, would, would get healing from him. And there have always been healers in Christianity. Um, there are things that go on, but God's doing the healing, communicating. Like, there's a heresy called deism, which most of Hollywood believes that if there is a God, it's just some kind of impersonal force that started the whole thing but has nothing, no communication, doesn't do anything else. That's Hollywood. That's Star Wars. That's George Lucas. The force. But the God that Christians believe in is a God that's personal and does communicate. And you can't experience... If you're talking about pillars, I'm saying, yeah, there, there actually are some spectacular healings, but um, we're a little more... Um, if somebody rose from the dead, if there were pillars of fire in the sky, I'm sure it'd be in the New York Times, uh, saying it's bells and whistles and stuff. I mean, it would be challenged immediately. And I want to show you that there, there actually are some decent arguments that miracles, communications, do happen. Um, but it's how you define them. That, that's the trick. A lot of people say that the miracles that happen today are not like the ones Jesus did. That, it's still arguable. Like Jesus was curing withered hands and raising people from the dead with all these eyewitnesses. But, um, if those things are happening, they, you'd think they'd be reported. Uh, we, we, we seem to be curing all kinds of spiritual problems, but I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen a withered hand. Or a, or a, although, you don't have to go very far in Christian circles to hear somebody say, um, I had cancer and I've got the x-ray. And I, and I, went, I, I, I had people pray for me and it's gone. And here's the new x-ray. So... That's as but as spectacular as it gets. And, and those those testimonies are just so numerous that you can't count them. It's almost like every church you go to has... And it's not just hearsay. It's, it's real. It's real miracles. Like it's, there's, there's tons of stories. Doctors write them off as dead and everything changes. It, it, that, that, it's hard. You know, if science... We're going to see in the miracle class, science is saying we should be open to the evidence, but it isn't open to this kind of evidence for some reason because it, it implies that there's a God behind it. So if you go to a scientist or a medical doctor and say, well, here's your x-ray last week and here's your x-ray this week and your lungs are no longer cancerous, you're cured. And you'll see the report in the newspaper, doctors amazed. The word miracle is abused, by the way. It's a miracle you came today. You know, it's a miracle that you're here. Like, it, we just abuse the word. It means nothing anymore. But the medical profession, the scientific medical profession, basically just fluff these things off as we just don't understand it because they just can't cough out the word um, that God might be involved. Although, among all of our scientists, um, the only ones who believe in God over, you know, over these 
14% of the mathematicians are the medical doctors, and they're way up there like 76%. So the medical doctors who actually see all these cures are the most, are the most numerous, you know, percentage of, of all the scientists, the medical scientists. They're the ones who believe in miracles and in, and in God. You can't believe in miracles unless you believe in God, is the story. Because then you have to say it, it must be a fluke. It must be something we don't understand. But if you believe in God, you say, well, of course. Of course, that's what God does. It all comes with the presupposition. You know, one of the arguments that we're going to look at for God's existence is the argument from miracles. And it's, it's that good an argument. And if you believe in miracles and they, there's evidence for them, and you believe in a God, then it makes sense. But if you don't believe in a God, then you've got the big problem of what all, what about all this evidence? There's tons of evidence for this stuff. And we accept, you know, in law courts, more flimsy evidence than, you know, than there is for miracles. But for some reason, if you have this naturalistic bias, then they're just ruled out without, without arguing one way or the other. There's two things we have to do. Positively, we have to look for evidence for our belief. Negatively, we look for criticisms of our belief and try to answer the criticisms. Both are important. If you go through life saying, I've got evidence for my belief, but don't criticize it. Don't criticize it. That would be intolerant. I don't want to hear the criticisms. If you don't hear the criticisms, how can you respond to them? How can you really be sure that your evidence is valid? So this is important stuff. It's not only important to argue for your belief, positive apologetics, positive defense, but to argue against the criticisms. You should be aware of the criticisms and answer them. I've got a ton of criticisms against Christianity that I've spent my life trying to answer. Like, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Like, how can I defend this? There are answers, but you have to look for them. So I feel it's a fuller belief if you, if you look at both of those. And what these are, are objections to doing apologetics, or objections to justifying belief. Some things reason alone can understand, some things it can discover, and some things it can prove. Other things, he says, reason can prove, and faith believes in. It's faith in revelation. So, this is really the positive task of apologetics. We believe things, in faith that, that reason can't discover or prove or really understand. There are some mysteries left. This is, this is not like some dogmatic stuff that we can prove everything. Uh, reason can only go so far. Justifying faith can only go so far. And that's going to be true for everybody. Um, some things that we believe in faith, this middle one says, can be rationally defended. Some things that we believe in faith can't be rationally defended. What we're arguing for is not rationalism. We're not arguing for faithism, number two. We're not arguing for the third one, which has no, no name. We're not arguing for dualism. What we're really looking for is that bottom one. Faith overlapping reason. Objections against justifying beliefs. These are eight reasons people think the Bible is using as excuses not to have to justify belief. Let me give you an example, and then, and then you'll see how easy this is. The first reason people say is, we don't have to do apologetics because, of course, the Bible doesn't have to be defended. That's the first one. 
Of course the Bible has to be defended. You can't just assume it's true. Give me some reasons why you think it is. And that's the same with the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or any other scripture. Like, so people are saying, I just believe the Bible. I don't have to defend it. And that's the first excuse for not having to do anything more than just believe. You have to tell me why. It, it begs the question to say, I believe the Bible, uh, therefore it's true. The question is, is it true? You can't just beg it. You can't just assume it's true. Now, all this other stuff, outside the Bible, there are at least five reasons people use not to have to do apologetics, not to have to justify belief. Things like, reason can't possibly figure out God. Reason can't possibly, with logic alone, understand the ways of God. Uh, that kind of stuff. Yes, reason can understand everything, but it certainly can get rid of some logical contradictions. And There's a lot of good things that reason can do. So here are at least 13 excuses not to have to justify belief. What he's arguing against is what's known as faithism, that we just need faith, we just need experience, we just need belief, we don't have to do anything more than that. When he refutes these excuses, do you see the beauty of this? Instead of simply saying, here's why you have to do it, that's what he does down here. He gives you four reasons why we have to justify our beliefs. This is good stuff at the, at the very end. But before he gives you the reasons why we should be doing this, he answers 18 reasons why we shouldn't, or 13 reasons why we shouldn't. Now that's a lesson in how to argue. Like, Here's, here's the, these eight or thirteen reasons are saying we don't have to do this. So show that, you know, that's what you do with an argument. Look at all of the objections to what we're trying to do and answer the objection. And then tell me why we have to do this. The second objection was that, well, Jesus didn't perform signs for, at certain times, when, like he didn't defend himself with miracles when people asked him to. There's an answer to that. Um, they didn't have any faith is the simple answer. So he, he wasn't a circus performer. He refused to do science. Um, he refused to defend himself against people who he knew would reject it anyway. The fifth one tries to make an argument that uh, one of the, well, the, the foremost early Christians, St. Paul, Paul, um, stopped doing, stopped defending the faith after a bad incident in Athens. And, of course, that's not true. All these excuses aren't true. So that's one, two, and five you should look at, and seven and eight, simple ones. Seven is saying we can't know God by, by reason. Doesn't, doesn't, the, uh, doesn't the scripture say that? And the answer is not really. That's not what it says. Like, show that the evidence against your belief is wrong. It's not a war. It's not really a conflict. It's simply an academic exercise. There are simple answers to these objections that we should be aware of. And, and once we see these basic objections that you hear endlessly and look at the answers. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.